This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Hello, everyone. So today I'm going to be continuing our series on encounters with God through the Old Testament. My character can be found right at the beginning um, of the Bible in Genesis 16. And she comes after Adam and Eve. She comes after Noah and the flood. And she is part of Abraham's story. Now, Abraham is the great grandfather of Joseph, whom Dan spoke on two weeks ago. And God chose Abraham to be the father of the Jewish people, promising to make him into a great nation and a blessing for the rest of the world. Children love the attention of their parents. My children certainly love my attention. And if you have a little person in your life, then you will recognise this too. It's a constant barrage of, look at me, mummy, look at me, mummy, mummy, look at me, look at me, mummy, mummy, you're not looking at me. It's constant, but it's not just children who want to be seen. Adults too feel a deep longing to be seen and known. Jennifer Lopez, one of the most photographed women in the world, she just recently said, I've battled my whole life to be heard, to be seen, to be taken seriously. We all want and need to be seen because being seen means that you matter to somebody and are significant in the seer's eyes. The seer literally spends their time on seeing you, getting to know you, and being with you. The author Marianne Williamson said, our deepest need is to be seen. And I think we desire to be seen because we were created to live in the sight and the presence of God, to see him and be seen by him. So what difference does it make to our lives to be seen by God? How can our lives be impacted by being seen by him? Today, we're going to look at the story of Hagar, a woman whose story meant she must have experienced years and years of being unseen. Hagar was a woman who never would have thought God would take notice of her. She wasn't important. She wasn't male. She wasn't wealthy or full of faith. Her only claim to fame was that she ended up in the middle of a big, complicated mess. But following an encounter with God, she saw that she was seen and it completely changed her. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 16, um, we're going to read from that in just a moment. Or if you have your Bible on your phone, then turn to that now. But before we read about her in the Bible, who was Hagar? So Hagar was an Egyptian woman within a male-dominated patriarchal society and was probably given as a gift from the king of Egypt to Abraham when he was visiting the country. She had been separated from her family, from her homeland, and she was a servant to her mistress, Sarai. At this point, Abraham and Sarah are called Abraham and Sarai. Um, And Sarai is the wife of Abraham. As a servant, Hagar's needs, her wishes, would not have been given serious consideration at all. Hagar had to do as she was told, like it or not. Her name means forsaken or forgotten, and it can also mean stranger or immigrant. Someone actually gave her a name of insignificance, but then Abraham and Sarai don't even use that name. They just refer to her as your servant or my servant. Hagar was a servant in their household, but she was purely functional to Abraham and Sarai, both as a servant and as a female with a womb. Sarai is in her 70s and she has had enough of waiting for a baby of her own. 
So she has this brilliant idea to give Hagar to her aging 85-year-old husband, Abraham, so that Hagar can have a baby with him. She was not valued as a servant or even as a wife. Sarai abused the pregnant Hagar, hating her for being pregnant. I mean, it was her idea all along, but she hates her for being pregnant. And then Abraham lets Sarai treat her really badly. She was treated as a nameless nobody and nobody seemed to care about her. So Hagar made the difficult and brave decision to leave her abusive mistress and she fled into the wilderness to escape. So let's read from Genesis 16 and we're going to start at verse 6 and read through to the end. So Genesis 16 verse 6. Your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. So then Sarai mistreated Hagar and so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will rule over against all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahay Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So Hagar's story should come with a big health warning. The Bible is silent what on is silent on what Hagar thought about being given as a second wife to Abraham to have his child. It was a common practice at the time. For some, it would look like an opportunity to be elevated to the status of wife. For others, it easily looks like she is a trafficked, vulnerable foreign woman who is forced to have sex with her 85-year-old master. And because God commanded Hagar's return to Sarai, her story has also been used to force victims of domestic abuse to return to their abusive situations. That is not good and is not what we would counsel at all. And it's not what the Bible is saying either. Hagar's situation is unique and the command to return should be seen as descriptive rather than prescriptive. God made people in his image, each one unique and wonderful and who should be treated as such he hates anything that looks like oppression, abuse, or poor treatment of people, especially the vulnerable and foreigners. Humans do so many things that are not good in the eyes of God, and even God's chosen people, Abraham and Sarai, do terrible and unkind things. But in spite of their shortcomings, God is willing to stick by them and continue partnering with them to redeem and bless the world. And he certainly redeems and blesses Hagar. So this series is focusing 
on a variety of people's encounters with God. And so today I'll be focusing on Hagar's first encounter, she actually has two, um, with God in light of her story as an unseen, unnamed servant, rather than focusing on the kind of abuse side of things. So, the encounter with God. Pregnant Hagar had run away out of desperation and she stopped at a spring of water, a place of refreshment, a place of rest, when an angel of the Lord appeared to her. And the word here for spring is sight or seeing. So the angel makes himself seen or visible at the spring of of seeing. It's really beautiful Hebrew wordplay. I love it. And it's significant for what's about to happen to Hagar. She would see God for herself and learn that the God she had seen was the God who had first seen her. Her encounter so utterly transformed her that she was willing to return to Sarai to the abusive environment. So let's have a closer look at the environment, at the encounter, and see how Hagar is impacted by being seen by God. So, firstly, seeing each other was the beginning of relationship. God was incredibly thoughtful in how and when he approached her. She had been living within God's chosen family, but he didn't take the easy option and speak to her at a convenient time when he was already there meeting with Abraham. God was willing to wait, to be patient, and pursue her for miles into the wilderness so that he could meet with her. In verse 8, the angel's first word to her is Hagar. It's her name. She had been a nameless servant girl, unknown, unheard, and unseen for so very long. Now, someone had resurrected her name, saying it aloud, Hagar. He also knew that she was Sarai's servant. This mysterious person met her in the middle of nowhere and knew exactly who she was. Hagar had been seen. She was noticed and remembered for the first time in a very long time. And it must have been a powerfully emotional moment for her. The angel built relationship further by asking her questions. Where have you come from? Where are you going? He asks not because he doesn't know the answers, but because he wants to know what Hagar thinks. He's interested in her. He cares about her story. Again, it would have been a significant moment for Hagar to know that somebody was interested in what she thought. If her thoughts matter, then maybe she matters too. And who is this mysterious angel of the Lord? One commentary reads, For Hagar, there is no mistaking this person. She knows whom she has seen. This is Yahweh, the same God who promised Abraham that his descendants would be as many as the stars of heaven. Now he has come to her. Hagar was lost. Now she is found. So Hagar believes she had seen and met with God. And many scholars throughout the ages believe that this angel of the Lord, with the authority to multiply her descendants and bless, is a pre-incarnate Jesus walking on the earth. Hagar had seen Abraham encounter God several times and meet with him, but now God is meeting and encountering her. And this is one of the ways that this story points forward to Jesus. We see a foreshadow of the time when Jesus would walk the earth as a man and encounter people face to face, bringing change and deep transformation. And it especially reminds me of another young woman, a Samaritan woman whom Jesus met once more at a well, a spring, and whose life was completely changed by an encounter with him. So I'm gonna affirm Hagar's belief, and from here on in, refer to the angel of the Lord as God. 
So, how is Hagar impacted? Secondly, seeing each other brought a revelation of identity. God revealed her true identity, both in his presence with her and in his spoken words to her. Her identity is one who was seen and known by God. He had heard her misery, so her identity is one who was heard by God. She is one who was pursued by God for miles and miles into the wilderness. She is one who has met with God and talked with God. She is one who has been rescued by God and protected by God. And finally, she is one who has been chosen by God. When Hagar saw God, she realised that she had always been seen, known, heard and chosen. It was completely new to her, but the encounter with God enabled revelation of who she had always been to him. It's like her identity emerged. So her identity emerges powerfully. She was no longer a nameless nobody, but a seen and chosen somebody. And lastly, how is Hagar impacted? Seeing each other brought a revelation of purpose. God revealed Hagar's true purpose in the prophetic poem in verses 9 and 10. She will be the mother of a nation coming through her unborn son. God gave Hagar, the foreign servant girl, the same honour that he gave to Abraham, choosing both to equally be parents to multitudes. She will have a baby boy whose name means the Lord heard my misery. Ishmael will be a constant reminder to her that God had seen her pain and her suffering. She wasn't unseen or forgotten. The Lord had seen the forgotten servant in her dark situation and had been working all things together for good. God said that Ishmael will live as a wild donkey. And I know that doesn't sound great at first to us. We think of stubbornness. But in those days, being a wild donkey meant freedom and independence. So it actually meant that Ishmael would get to roam free in the land. Ishmael will not be a servant in the same way that she had, but he will dwell or rule over others. So this is all really good news to Hagar. She is not who she was. She is a new creation with a new future and a generational legacy. And now onto my most favorite part of the encounter, Hagar's response in verse 13. So at the spring of seeing where God had revealed himself and spoken to her, Hagar said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And I love the way the message version puts it. You can really hear her excitement and her passion in this. It says, she answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. Yes, he saw me and then I saw him. Hagar is amazed that God saw her. She's floored by him seeing her. It's not the promised son. It's not the blessing of descendants or even that God is asking her to return to her mistress that impacts her the most. She was gobsmacked that the God of Abraham saw her. She was just Abraham's servant. And so Hagar wanted to celebrate and commemorate this moment forever, the moment she saw that God saw her. Others in the Bible have named the places where they met God, but she chose to name him himself. She's the only person to do this, and it's an act of real intimacy, of knowing and being known. And nicknames are an affectionate term of endearment, aren't they? They're shared privately between people. And I think God must have loved that nickname that she gave to him, because it reveals something so key as to who God is, which is why it's included in the Bible. And it means we get to know God as the God who sees me too. He loved the name, 
but he loved the girl behind it even more. So Hagar responded to God's initiation of relationship and quickly deepened the intensity of it. She's an all-in, passionate kind of girl, which is why I love her and is why I wanted to share her story. At the spring of seeing, Hagar saw the truth, that God, the God of the universe, saw her, a poor, forgotten, foreign servant girl. He heard her. He came running after her and spoke promises of blessing and hope for her future. She was utterly transformed by being seen by him. And in her book, Forgotten Women of God, Diana Webb writes this. Hagar is a different woman from the one who has fled into the wilderness. She now knows that a power higher than herself notices her and that knowledge transforms her. She is now free in a way that returning to slavery and servanthood can never eradicate. She is important to God and that gives her a new sense of self-worth. Hagar has learned that God has a plan for her and if God is with her, she can survive anything. And I think that's why Hagar was able to contemplate going back to Sarai, to this abusive relationship and environment. She was comforted and encouraged by knowing that God saw her and her situation, and it gave her the strength and courage to live her unfair life. God had deeply changed Hagar, which meant she could face the circumstances of her life which hadn't changed at all. He empowered her through their blossoming relationship, through reinforcing her true identity, and through giving her hope for a different future and a legacy. And her story points once more to Jesus. He too took the form of a servant and suffered greatly. God the Father continually affirmed his identity as a deeply loved son. And Jesus willingly endured the cross because he fixed his eyes on his father and on the joy of saving us. Hagar's suffering and submission to God is a foreshadow of the suffering servant Jesus and his willing submission to his father. And what God does for the one, he wants to do for the rest. What he did for Hagar, what he did for Jesus, he wants to do that for you and for me. He wants us to be able to stand firm through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and we do that through regularly encountering him. Each time we encounter him, whatever it is you might like to do to meet with him, he uses it to build relationship, to strengthen identity, and to reinforce purpose. The chapter ends with the return of Hagar to Abraham's household, and she has her baby. Abraham called their son Ishmael, the name given to Hagar by God at the spring of seeing. And it shows that on her return, Abraham listened to her. Perhaps when Abraham saw that his God was her God, that his God saw Hagar too, maybe then he was willing to see, hear, and take notice of her as well. So I think there are three things that we can take away from the story of Hagar. If we had our screens working, you'd have some beautiful slides now. Um, So three things. Um, How we see others matters. God sees us because we matter, and seeing him matters too. So a word on each and some ideas on how we can respond. Hagar is a neglected story within the Bible, as is the character of Hagar herself. But her story is important because she reminds us that injustice, abuse, and treating people as less than human is still happening today. 
Despite all our technological and societal advances, we still treat other people really poorly. And that's how the world ends up with Hagar's. So firstly, how we see others matters. God asks us to see other people the way that he sees them. Our response to being seen, known and loved is to see, know and love others. As people made in his image, we are to be like him and be a blessing to the nation around us. Abraham had just been told that in the chapter before, to be a blessing to the nations. And he had a representative of the nation living in his household and he abused her, they abused her. More people being a blessing and living like that would see fewer Hagars being abused and afflicted. When we are like God, when we treat others like he would, then they get to see God at work in us. They will see God himself through us and through our actions. And maybe God had to meet Hagar in the wilderness because she was not seeing him in his chosen family. And for me, I don't know about you, but that's a really uncomfortable thought. Maybe the people around us don't see God because we don't see them and treat them as God would either. So how do you see people? You can tell by how you treat them. How have you treated the people who have served you in the last few weeks? There are some really simple things we can do, and we interviewed Karen Green from Bridges for Community last week, and she suggested that we just take notice of the people around us in our communities. But some other things that I think we can do. We can learn the names of the people we interact with, particularly the people who serve us. So people like postmen, builders, um, people on the tills, waiters, waitresses. Slow down enough to really see them, to notice them. Use their name and notice their smiles, their frowns, their cares, their pain. See them as people, individuals made in the image of God. And you could also get involved with some of the unseen vulnerable people within our city. We run a Ukraine hub on a Friday at Tossadown Methodist. Or you could speak to Dan and Karen Green about befriending newly arrived refugees to our city. You can actively be involved with helping vulnerable and forgotten refugees feel seen that they matter, that they are cared for. So, what one thing could you do this week to enable someone else to be seen and heard? We have opportunities to present God to people every day. People who do not know that the God of the universe sees them. People who do not know that the God of creation hears their anguish and their cries. As his ambassadors, we get to represent Jesus to people so that they too can know the truth that they are seen. Secondly, God sees us because we matter. Hagar was unseen by the people in her life and she probably felt very unseen and forgotten. King David also felt similarly and in Psalm 22 he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? I cry out but you do not answer. And in Psalm 8, he says, who am I that God is mindful of me? And we can feel like that too, can't we? We can all feel unseen, overlooked, neglected and forgotten at times. We wonder where God is, what he is doing. Does he even see what's going on in our lives? And other people and our environment can further those feelings as seen in the life of Hagar. Who am I that God would be interested in me? Who are you? You matter to him. 
You are in his sight and on his mind, and he loved you before the creation of the world. He knows your every thought before you think it and every word that comes out of your mouth before you say it. Every day of your life is written in his book. He numbers the hairs on your head. He counts your steps and he collects your precious tears in his bottle. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, made in his image, made to be like him. You are seen, heard, known, and deeply, deeply loved. You absolutely matter to him, and he is working things together for good. The good things, the bad things, the ugly things, the things done to you and the things that you've done to other people. In fact, the only thing that God has ever forgotten about you is your sin. We need to get those truths rooted deep in our heart. And again, it's a really simple thing to do. We root God's word in our hearts by leaning on his spirit and reading and rereading and meditating on his voice and his word. There are so many amazing verses in the Bible about who we are, what God thinks of us, and I've just shared a few of them. And we live in an age where it's easier than ever. Um, you can literally just Google, what does God think of me? Uh, what's my identity in Christ? And you'll quickly come up with a whole list of who you are. You could pick one to meditate on, or as a family or a community group, why not have a memory verse of the week um, or of the month? You get everyone to learn it and discuss what it means to you. You can pray those verses over yourself and others. You can say them to yourself in the mirror, affirming who you are in God. We need to get God's word rooted deep in our hearts because we need to know the truth. He sees us and we matter to him. And finally, seeing him matters too. God sees us. He has always seen us. That's true, but we don't live in sight of him. We don't always live with our eyes set on him. And it's been that way since Adam and Eve were told to leave the Garden of Eden. It's a case of out of sight, out of mind. We forget about him, we get distracted, we take our eyes off him and put them on the things of this world. So we respond to Hagar's story by positioning ourselves to see God. We keep God in our sight when we walk in step with his spirit, minute by minute, day by day. The role of the Spirit is to shine a light on the Father and Jesus to illuminate them so that we see them more clearly. He wants to point us to them and is constantly whispering in our souls to look up. He reminds us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to fix our eyes on him. And we need to encounter God regularly in small chunks throughout our day, as well as through bigger gathered events like Sunday services, worship events, community groups. What keeps you from keeping your eyes on God? What could you do this week to more regularly turn your thoughts towards Jesus? And where will you prioritise time for an encounter with God? God sees you right now, this very moment, and he delights in the fact that you prioritised him this Sunday morning. He longs for depth of relationship and intimacy with you because you matter to him. He wants to reveal to you who you really are, what he has made you for and who he has made you to be. And he wants you to see the good and exciting purposes that he has for your life, whilst empowering you to live in your present, sometimes difficult circumstances. 
what he did for Hagar, he wants to do for you too. He is actively pursuing you for a face-to-face encounter where you'll see him and know for sure that he has seen you. This is God, El Roe, the God who sees you. If you want to stand, we've got some time to respond. Um, Becky and the band are going to come back up and just play over us. And um, yeah, as I was preparing this, I think the two, and praying, the two main things have been, I think the Holy Spirit does want to shine a light on how we treat people. It might be that you've not had time and you've ignored somebody in the playground. It could be as simple as that. Um, So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind where we've not treated somebody particularly well. And then I think there's that other question of what keeps you from keeping your eyes on God? So let's, let's just pray before the band play. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you that you see us that you hear us because we matter to you. Thank you for the story of Hagar, for the way that you let her know that she was cared for and loved. And what you do for the one you want to do for the rest, you want to do that for us too. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just prompt us and remind us of times where we haven't treated people as well as we should have done? It may be a small thing or it could be a bigger thing. And would you help us to talk to you about what keeps our eyes from just keeping focused on you? So we've got some time to think and pray if you want to sing as the band lead us. And then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll carry on.